Morning. Morning. My name is Russell Atkins. I'm filling in for Tim this morning. He is somewhere else. So I, I'm filling in. It's been almost three months since I've uh, taught here, and I have to say I miss it. Um, I enjoy this. It um, kind of forces me to delve deeper into the lesson and learn, which is fun. I want to welcome uh, our regular members back. Let's extend a special welcome to our um, visitors. Uh, see some members who haven't been here in a while and welcome them as well. And welcome to all of you uh, looking in online and who will view this later. We are doing lesson three in our quarterly about Job, um, entitled, Does Job Fear God for Not? But uh, before we get into that, uh, let's start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your watch, care, and blessings this week. I want to thank you for this class, uh, corporately and individually. Uh, I ask that you uh, send your angels and your Holy Spirit to guide our study today uh, as we delve deeper into the uh, insights that the book of Job uh, gives us. Um, Please continue to watch over and protect us. And when you come again, may we all stand ready. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Anyone have any thoughts or insights in the lesson before we get to the anyone? Anything that we want to really spend time going over so I can make time, uh, make certain about it? Like the memory text for Sabbath lesson, any... Anyone have any problems with that? No? No issues? Okay. This is, we're going to get deeper into that in Wednesday's lesson, I think. But from the teacher's lesson, this is, um, this is a, in, entitled A Key Concept for Spiritual Growth. The dialogue between Satan and God in the heavenly court showcases the big issue at stake in the great controversy, namely the character of God. Right? Is God a tyrant who manipulates human beings either by fear or bribery into submission and obedience, as Satan wants to make him out to be? Or is he a loving father who sends his own son to die on the cross in order to pay the price for our sins? Your image of God will determine your stand in this cosmic battle and your reaction toward pain and suffering. Now, whenever we read a passage or paragraph like that, it, uh, it helps to take a step back and process what's being said, what's meant, and most importantly, what sort of filter am I, am I filtering this through? In my own, what am I perceiving in it? Are we looking through a filter of imposed law or are we looking through a filter of natural law? And from that, we can typically discern what the author's filter is. So, let's read it again. Well, first of all, the first, the first sentence, the dialogue between Satan and God in heavenly court showcases a big issue at stake and the great controversy, namely the character of God. Agree or disagree? Absolutely. That's what the controversy started with. It's what it continues with. And it will ultimately, that will be the ultimate vindication of it. God will be shown to be trustworthy. Is God a tyrant who manipulates human beings by either by fear or bribery into submission and obedience? No. Well, it depends on what kind of God you believe in. Okay? And then like the last sentence says, your image of God will determine your stand in this cosmic battle. That's right. It's absolutely right. Our image of God. What image do we have of God? Is he a dictator or was he the designer? 
Or is he a loving father who sends his own son to die on the cross? Is that part, is that part accurate? I get it from the way you look at it. Did he send him down to make a payment to himself? Oh, I didn't get to that payment part yet. <laughs> Well, he didn't even send him. Thank you. He allowed him. He, he allowed Christ to make that choice. He gave Christ the the freedom to make his own choices and to not intervene when those choices came down to the point where Christ yielded up his life at the hands of evil men. Correct. Okay, my understanding is that God himself would have gone and wanted to go instead. Christ said... The allegations are about my my character. Satan alleged, Lucifer alleged equality with me. I'm the one that needs to bear witness. Okay. Die on the cross in order to pay a price for our sins. Okay. No, he did not die in order to pay a price for our sins. Now, bear in mind, he paid a dear price for the whole process. It was It was very costly to him. But he was not paying a price to God. He was not paying a price to God's law. He was not paying a price to humanity. Sunday's lesson. God's servant, Job. Again, from the lesson, quote, Have you, this is Satan's language here, Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. From Job 1.10. <clears throat> the book of Job opens by referencing not only Job's righteousness and good character, but also his material blessings and his fruitful household. These were the specific things that helped make Job revered as, quote, the greatest men, the greatest of all men of the East. And these two are the specific things that Satan hurls in God's face, saying basically, only because you have done this for him does he serve you. What then is implied in Satan's charge that if God were to take these things away from Job, he would, quote, surely curse you to his face? What's implied? He's showing favor to Job. Okay, God was giving Job preferential treatment. That's implied. What else is implied? Thank you. The only reason Job was faithful, or may have integrity, is because of this preferential treatment. He was, he's easily bribed. The attack really is against God himself. This is what the whole great controversy is about anyway. If God were so wonderful, so good, then Job would obey and fear and worship him out of love and appreciation alone. After all, who wouldn't love a God who had done so much for him? In a sense, Satan was saying that God had all but bribed Job into being faithful with him. Thus, he claimed, Job served God not out of love, but out of his own selfish motives. I think this is a fantastic summary of Satan's allegations to begin with. This is from Education, page 154. And we've heard this quote in here, but it bears uh, reviewing. Unselfishness, the principle of God's kingdom, is the principle that Satan hates. And his very existence, he denies. Get your minds around that. Lucifer denies that unselfishness exists. Even in heaven, he alleged that God was selfish with his treatment of the angels, with his 
behavior with other created beings, with his treatment of, of Lucifer himself. He alleged that God uh, and Christ uh, behaved from a self-absorbed motivation. They could prove that he could justify his own. Yes, right. From the beginning of the great controversy, he has endeavored to prove God's principles of actions to be selfish. And he deals in the same way with all who serve God. To disprove Satan's claim is the work of Christ and all who bear his name. Okay, we have a job to do. If we claim, if we claim his name, if we claim Christian, then we have a job. That job is to disprove Satan's claim that uh, unselfishness doesn't even exist. We have a privilege. Yes, it is a privilege. An honor, duty, privilege, job, uh, whatever you want to phrase it. Um, it's our work. Okay, And the only way we can do it is by dying to self daily and allowing Christ to live within us. Like Paul says, it's not I that live, but Christ lives in me. Um, I want to note, uh, going on here to Monday's lesson, and this this goes back to the first meeting in heaven where you know Satan um, alleged against God and Job, and he repeats the process in the second one. Um, skin for skin. Do you have a comment or question? Just rephrase. We have a privilege to develop a personal relationship. Yes. If personal relationship and the one we get to know and love shines through, then others can see the truth about God. I think sometimes if we look at it as a duty, um, it can get to be process and obligation versus joy and privilege. All right, thank you. I appreciate you clarifying that, and I think you're right. Um, Again, and this, what law are we talking about here? Designed to have a personal relationship. Right, but specifically, what what law, what, what facet of design law? The law of... Say it louder. Law of, worship. law of worship. Thank you. Yes, if we if we behold and if we develop a relationship with a dictator, dictator God concept. Never mind that we worship on the the right day. We eat the right foods. We uh, associate with the right people. We will become like the God we worship. It is law. If we develop a relationship with a, a loving God who would have, who, who actually did die himself, God died that day, as Christ said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If we, if we develop a relationship with someone who would rather die than to, um, use his power to save himself, then we become like that as well. And that this whole, this whole relationship thread that you brought up, I think is a, is an undercurrent, and I was going to touch on it later. Uh, of why Job remained faithful and why God held him up as an example. Have you considered my servant Job? Because not only did God know Job, obviously, but Job knew God. And he's, you know, when he spends 40 chapters going back and forth with his friends uh, later on, uh, uh, def- basically defending God. And at the end, God says, he said about me, what is right? That was right. So uh, round two, back to the heavenly meeting of the sons of God. And thus far, Satan has been proved wrong about Job. Um, 
He now states that uh, if Job's own person were injured or threatened, then he would curse his creator. Uh, This is uh, Job 2, verse 3. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? And still he holds fast to his integrity. Remember that phrase. Although you incited me against him to destroy him without cause. We'll stop for a minute. God's, t- God's speaking to Satan. God takes on the earth, even though it was Satan who brought the calamities on Job to begin with, God takes it, the responsibility on himself. Even though you incited me against him to destroy him without cause. So Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin. Yes, all that a man has, he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand now. And touch his bone, his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. Curse you to your face. So again, Satan alleges that it's God's issue. You know, God's going to stretch forth His hand, and then what does God do? Next verse. And the Lord said to Satan, "Behold, he is in your hand, but spare his life." Okay. There, I have met people that, that still believe that God was the one who did this to Job. And here it is in plain black, well, it's in red here to be highlighted, but it's black and white. Satan alleged it was God. Job believed it was God. Job thought it was God doing this to him. And God himself says both times, Satan is in your hand. First time, do what you will with him. But don't touch him. Second time, do what you will. Spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. How many of you have ever had a boil? Yeah, me too. Right. Yeah, without without getting too descriptive, um, I I do a lot of bike riding and developed a boil on the seat of my bike where my seat meets the bike seat. <laughs> and this thing was so angry that it was reproducing sciatic nerve symptoms. It was it was inflaming my sciatic nerve, and I was having pain all the way down to my, my heel. I named it. <laughs> no, I didn't name it Joe. <laughs> but... So uh, I can't. I can. I can scarcely um, fathom having these things on the sole of my feet to the top of my head. Yes. You know, it, it, it says it's sores. Could be boils. Could be sores. Could be whatever. Yeah. There's lots of of medical um, possibilities here. Shingles. Right. You know. I mean, and a global shingles. I mean, that is. Yeah, apparently shingles is bad enough in a in a uh, local area, but yeah, systemic shingles all over that that would be that'd be like being set on fire. I always thought it was just a Plano staff infection. A plan, why? Because he was taking a broken pot and scraping it with him all day. You know, I was equate boils usually with a staff. Mm. I got a comment in the back. 
So the discussion that we've had kind of leads to a couple of questions. What then is a true definition of God? And is it okay for God to give us over to Satan? Okay, what is a, a true definition of God? Well, since God's infinite and we're finite, I don't know that we'll ever come up with a, a, um, a complete answer. Okay? The best, the best definition of God is Jesus of Nazareth. Yes. Uh, it, God is love, and we see that lived out uh, in the four Gospels uh, at the beginning of the New Testament. So, second question. Is it okay is, for God to give us over to Satan? Is it okay for God to give us over to Satan? Well, God only gives you what you can handle, and some people can handle that. Slightly different. If, if you were able to have face-to-face conversation with God, and he said, I need a volunteer to be able to show my love to others, but it's going to be a really rough road to hope. It's going to be awful. You, you'll come out of it with your life, but that's it. Everything else will be gone. Do I have any takers? I think with Job's personal relationship with God, he very probably would have put up his hand and said, like Isaiah, send me. So where we don't have the luxury and the privilege of those face-to-face conversations now, we are promised that when we get to heaven and are able to have those conversations, that whatever did occur that was out of our control and we didn't create this two-pot, which a lot of times I just personally speak for myself. Right. But if it is truly something fully out of our control that comes out of the blue, then being able to trust the one who you have the relationship with to bring wisdom and bring it all to fruition and somehow make it for the good, that he can and he will. And I think Tim's example of the, the guy that gets hit by the bus, you know, or the, the truck. If you're standing in the middle of the road and a semi comes and you see it, you have fear you're going to get splat on the grill, right? But what if it's your kid out there playing in the road with the chase a ball? You see the truck coming, you've got time for the split second, push them out of the way. You're still splat on the grill, but you now have joy in your heart instead of the fear of I'm just going to be paint on a grill. And so I think that helps to bring it back down to being able to know the one who can see the big picture and being able to then fully, um, uh, Chambers, recklessly throw yourself on God's loving hands and let, let trust the one who knows the end from the beginning. Do your best every day to make things for the best, but when it's out of our control and when, when the seas are rising, uh, being able to trust the Father. We have to remember what God was being accused of in the first place because of the mm-hmm. All God did was stop, step back. I don't think he just said, here. I think he stepped back and said, I'm not protecting him the way you accuse me. Look and see. Eve? Um, I have heard there is a, a slight misinterpretation of the text anyway. So that when God says, have you considered my servant Job, what he's actually saying is, you've been looking at him, haven't you? You've been considering him. Hmm. Um, it's not God pointing Job out as, oh, here's the one that you can test on. He's, he's pointing out that Satan's already been looking at him. Right. And when he says, behold, he's in your hands, it's the same language that Abraham used with his wife and Hagar. Behold, she is in your hands. In other words, she was already in her hands. Right. 
you know, and here we are on earth. We're already in Satan's hands. It's true. He already has a lot of power on this earth to do stuff. In other words, it wasn't God saying, yeah, why don't you just go ahead and do your thing? I give you permission. No. Satan does it anyway. Mm-hmm. All God did was limit him. He said, you can't. You can't do this. Right. He provided some restraint. And and I, I do think that there was, I don't think Satan was inaccurate in, in describing a hedge of protection. Because uh, I, God I believe in does put up a hedge of protection around, you know, Satan's decided attacks on us. And, and, I, and that's great. I think it's a great insight that Satan was already considering Job. He Satan knew that Job was righteous and blameless. And it uh, ticked him off. And he was chafing at the bit in order to to do something about it. Uh, and God knew God knew Satan's character so well, and he knew uh, Job's character so well that he said, "I'm I'm gonna take a step back. I'm gonna remove some restraint." Satan, reveal your character to the unfallen angels, because they they don't read hearts and minds. Uh, they didn't fall, but they still had a lot of questions. Steps back. Reveal, reveal some of your character. Steps back again. Reveal some more of your character. Wendell? God never abandoned Job. Correct. You know, and um, if you really want to see God never abandoned anyone, even Jesus in Gethsemane, God was there. Mm-hmm. So... Um, I don't think we ever can say, oh, God God abandoned Job to Lucifer. He permitted certain things to happen, but he was always there. Right. The lesson asks us to consider Job's initial or Job's response to the initial onset of calamities, uh, meaning that um, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away, blessed be the name of the Lord, that quote. Any thoughts on that? It's a basic mis- misunderstanding all the way through Job, um, and it could be argued that Job had actually lost sight of of God's character because he did ascribe the actions to God. I mean, even later when he says, "You know, though he slay me, yet will I trust him," he was still thinking it was God doing all of this, and he was still saying, "But if I took God to court, I would win." Mm-hmm. It's kind of they, both he and his friends were misunderstanding what was going on. The friends were saying, you've obviously done something wrong. God is punishing you. And Job was saying, I've done nothing wrong. I've done nothing to deserve this. Mm-hmm. They're arguing this two sides of the same coin, a misunderstanding of God's character, that if you're blessed, you're with God. And if you're not, you've obviously done something wrong. There's there's a twist there. Right. God is who he is regardless of what happens to me. He doesn't ruin the pain of the broken world, but he walks with us through this walk and brings the best possible outcomes. How many of you have read the book that we've produced, The Cosmic Conflict, written by Brad Northia Cole? Because it's very well done. I can't remember which one to give credit to. One of them makes the point that Lucifer is only mentioned by name, I think, three times in the Old Testament. And Job, the book of Job is one of them, and there's a reference in Ezekiel and, and in Genesis and maybe another one in Isaiah, so three or four times. Their theory is that after the fall, man mankind 
had enough false gods occupying their mind to worship that, that God didn't want to give them yet another uh, powerful God to to focus on. So he limited man's exposure to the great controversy, to the to the um, ideas that there was a there was a powerful being cast out of heaven, and um, and he did that out of love because God is love. He did that not in order to keep keep man from developing a worship. Now, never mind that every other every other pagan god concept is basically a has a facet of Satan's character to it. But to to refrain from giving man a a powerful celestial being that actually exists was in man's best interest at that time, and it wasn't until later on that uh, you know the i then the idea of a a heavenly controversy would take hold that Lucifer slash Satan's existence was made known made known to mankind so that we could flesh out some some deeper uh, insights in that so so back to our back to our original idea that job attributed this to god god was god in love was happy to take the responsibility he didn't correct job he didn't say well you know it wasn't really me it was this other guy that's the source of all your problems god just said okay if you want to believe it's me that's fine and uh, it is. It was okay, it, and it, 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 the scripture says, you know, in, in in doing this, after this statement, you know, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Uh, blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job did not sin. And we're we're never we're never told that Job was ever corrected on his uh, his uh, mistaken identity, you know, his mistaken accusations or his whatever thoughts. Later on in Job, whenever he says, who are you to question me, by the way, I, and then he lays it all out for him, I would take that as a bit of correction on a misunderstanding of his concept. In, yeah. I mean, he never corrected him as far as the existence of Satan, the existence of a, a destroyer. He never passed the buck. Yes. You know, God God continued to take the responsibility, uh, you know, the mis- miscredited responsibility for the calamities. Also, from the lesson... Quote, central to God's government, a government based on love, is freedom of choice. And at, amen to that. If you want my, my personal opinion, the law of liberty is the single most misunderstood law or single most understood, mis, most misunderstood uh, aspect of God's natural law that uh, humanity, and specifically Christian humanity, has. We do not understand free will. And, what, and, and all the things that it means. I'm only beginning to understand it. And then I look back at some of the things I've said, the choices I've made, and I think, oh, good grief. How far out of harmony was that? God wants us to serve him because we love him, not because we are forced to serve him. Amen. Satan insinuated that Job served God from selfish motives. He attempted to deny that true religion springs from love and an intelligent appreciation of God's character, that true worshipers love religion for its own sake and not for a reward. They serve God because such service is right in and of itself and not merely because heaven is full of glory 
and that they love God because he is worthy of their affection and confidence, not merely because he blesses them. That's from SDA Bible Commentary, and I, I think that's fantastic. Um, any other thoughts about the law of liberty? I mean, we could spend months and months uh, on that. It, 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 are, I, I'm interested to hear some of your insights. That is what the great controversy is all about. God, God respecting his own um, base of, of, of life and creation in the, in the universe with allowing Lucifer to have his free will choice. And mm-hmm. each one of us, instead of zapping and starting all over, to be able to go through this whole painful, horrid process so that every intelligent being in the entire universe can know that it's with true free choice to love him or not, and that, that he is worthy of love, he is worthy of praise, he is worthy of worship. Yes, um, the... You know, we, we've, we've gone over this many times in here. Love cannot exist without freedom. I've had a couple of, of my patients who are struggling in, in uh, marriage or dating relationships. And, you know, when, when someone's on my table and I'm working on their knee or their shoulder or their back or the whatever, we start having the conversations. We start developing a rapport. And if I'm seeing them once or twice a week over an extended period of time, they, um, there's a, just a, a, a different relationship, a different rapport built up. When I was training in, in PT school, they had me taking all these psychology and sociology classes. I thought, what in the world? This is ridiculous. Now I get it. Okay? Because some people think of me as a different kind of therapist. Um, at any rate, I have started unfolding some of these laws of liberty to the people, and it's, it's really astounding to see the light go on, to see them, you know, you use your analogy about, you know, the belief in a lie, how does that change, uh, how does that, you know, the, the power of the belief in a lie changes, you know, behavior from selfless to selfish, um, you know, would you, would you chain your spouse to a radiator and hold a gun to their head until, and demand that they love you, this, this type of a, you know, an egregious analogy that, uh, you know, Tim uses, which is a, you know, pendulum swinging in a, in a wide direction there, but, you know, simple little, you know, manipulative tactics and coercive tactics, there's still an attempt to violate liberty, and the, the result is the same. Okay, my, my opinion, and Tim and I have gone back and forth on this, he, he kind of disagrees with it. My opinion is that, you cannot violate the law of liberty. I don't think you can violate any natural law. As we know, violating, you, you we violate a speed limit. Can't violate the laws of momentum. They just are. You can't violate the law of gravity. You can assume it doesn't apply to you. But you can't violate it. You can't violate the law of liberty. Now, I can violate someone's liberty, but not the law. Because the law predicts certain consequences when attempts are made to violate it. Number one, what's 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 the number one thing that happens when you violate someone's liberty? Fear and anger. Love dies. Love begins to die. Because love cannot exist without freedom. Okay? Second two predictable consequences 
are rebellion. rebellion. It, it either incites rebellion or if you allow your liberty to be violated or, or if someone whose liberty you're violating allows that, then they become a shadow of the, of the uh, coercive and manipulative of the violator. And they, they lose individuality. And they just, Tim calls them shadow people, where they just become a simple shadow of the person that uh, is trying is attempting to dominate. They become subjects, service out of fear. Yeah, and and this these are these are predictable. It's guaranteed. Why? Because it's design law. So it may be just a simple matter of semantics, but I don't think the law of liberty. I don't see it can be violated. Without predictable outcomes. Thoughts? The uh, lesson encourages us to compare and comp- contrast Job's dealing with temptation with Adam, Adam, and Eve uh, is in regard to the, its relationship with, quote, free will. Um, any thoughts on that? Were well, the temptations the same? This is such a totally different environment. <laughs> That's right. That's absolutely right. Uh, it's 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 a it's a stretch. It's a stretch of a comparison, and that, that was that was what I first thought when I, I read over that. I thought wouldn't even wouldn't even dream of comparing the two. I guess the the root of the temptation is the same. Was was the root of what was the what was the root of Adam and Eve temptation? God be trusted. Is God trustworthy? Okay. Same thing with Job. So th- there's there's a similarity. What was what was the state of the earth when Adam and Eve were around pre-fall? <laughs> it was ideal. It was yeah, there was no design flaw. It, it was perfection, as were they before the fall. Uh, what was the state of the earth when Job was around? So some suggest it was relatively soon after the flood. So. Uh, it was not um, the Tower of Babel and all that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, it was it was far from Eden. Um, and the test of character for Adam and Eve, what was it? Don't take the fruit. That was the test. And uh, you know, again, back to is God trustworthy? And what was what was Job's test? Well, I mean, the the, the test was him losing losing servants, losing livestock, losing children, uh, and then suffering a, 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 a compromised health and infliction of sores, boils, herpes, shingles, whatever you want to call it. A bit more of a severe test, I think. Job passed and Adam and Eve failed. But were these really more of a test or more of a situation of God um, playing fair, in essence, with, in other words, saying, I am... I always thought the Adam and Eve thing with the fruit, you know, we always t- were taught like it's a test. But now, 
it's kind of like it's more in my mind that um, God was saying, you can't have full access to them. And so I'm going to limit you to here. Yeah. As far as you can go, you can't follow them all over the place and, and dog them all the time. Right. That's, I'm not going to allow that. Well, and so I, it's a different perspective. And maybe with Job, it's the same thing. It's, it's the devil's attack, you know, saying, ah, he's just... He's just one. Uh, he's got such a perfect life with you. Why would he? That's why he's following you. And that's not really what it is. And, uh, and God's saying, okay. It's not God saying, okay, I'm going to see in how loyal this Job really is. Right. Thank you. Thank you. Different angle. Thank you for clarifying that. Whenever we hear the term test, we think, arbitrary test of obedience, just like Sabbath. It's an arbitrary day of, of testing our obedience. No, it isn't. And, and thank you for for bringing that up. You know, the tree was not an arbitrary test. It was something done in love because again to prevent prevent uh, Lucifer from from trailing them all over the, the entire earth. You don't have a choice. Yes, correct. And it, that's right. And it was it was a, it was something designed in love to strengthen their character. Yes. So the verse that says, God will not tempt you above that you are able, but with the temptation provides a way of escape. Maybe that would be better said, the Lord will allow you to be tempted. Well, does the text say God will not tempt you? Because in James it says God does not tempt, nor can he be tempted. Yeah, but that we are tempted by our own evil desires. But I mean, the, the the one you're referencing, does it actually say God will not tempt you? God will not test you. I think it's First Corinthians 10, but I'm not. God will not allow you to be tempted. I think it's what it says. Yes. Is that what it says? No temptation has taken you, such as is common to man. Yes, that's it. Okay. All right. So, yeah, again, you know, we, we want to be careful that we don't ascribe to scripture something that isn't there and whenever you whenever you hear something quoted from scripture the first thing you need to say okay was that is that really what it says and look it up if it is what it says then ask okay what does it mean in that particular verse temptations seize us all the time Mm -hmm. and they're not from god they may not even be from satan they may be in fact as james says from our own evil desires what god says is I have provided a way out of every temptation. Right. Everything that comes to you is not new. It's not abnormal. But I've made a way. Mm-hmm. And that way is Jesus. It's not, you know, I'm going to help you stand up under every test I throw at you. That verse is so often twisted to make it seem like every trial has to come to you approved by God. And that is not the case. That is not the case. Thank you. Well said. Wendell. Reading this is the Good News Translation for 1 Corinthians 10, 12, and 13. If you think you're standing firm, you'd better be careful of what you do, not fall. Every test that you have experienced is the kind that normally comes to people. But God keeps his promise, and he will not allow you to be tested beyond your power to remain firm. At the time you are put to the test, he will give you the strength to endure it and to provide you with a way out. Okay. Thank you. So... God, he's not tempting us. Let's make let's make that clear. 
Uh, but again, back to the story of Job, he does allow certain things to happen, either to to um, sharpen and refine our characters or to reveal our characters to the onlooking universe. Again. In the quarterly on Tuesday, just before the Adam and Eve thing, it says, God did not force Job to act as he did. Job's steadfast faithfulness, considering the circumstances, was an amazing testimony before men and angels. About what? It was a testimony about Job's integrity, but it was also a testimony about God's judgment. That's right. That's correct. It was a testimony about God's character, Job's character, and God's diagnostic skill. Well said. And Satan's character. Yes, thank you. He could have blessed. Thank you. Correct. That's right. Um, if we get, if we have time, uh, the lesson draws some parallels between uh, Job's experience and Christ's experience. So, so start thinking about that um, in the next couple of minutes. But meanwhile, let's move on to Wednesday's lesson: Job's wife. What, if any, significance is given to the phrase "quote hold fast to your integrity"? Because God and both God and Job's wife uh, use this phrase. This phrase, uh, Job, uh, God, in response to Satan, say he's blameless. He holds fast his integrity. Job's wife, um, as he's suffering with the boils, says, "Why do you hold fast your integrity? Why don't you curse God and die?" Any thoughts? That's who he was. <laughs> you know, in other translations. Uh, Job is still as faithful as ever. That's who he was. Right. Testing reveals who you are. It may help solidify something that you believe or know or whatever, but it actually is, when we go in for an exam in our university studies or whatever, you know, it's an examination to show who you are and what you know. Mm -hmm. It's a revelation thing. That's right. It's a revelation of the teacher's skill in presenting. It's a revelation of the tester's skill in fleshing it out. It's a revelation of the student's skill and the study effort that they've put in. It, it is. It, it is a is revelatory. Um, yes. I think it's interesting that Satan spared the wife. Um, and I think he did it deliberately because he knew her character and that in her grief, she would, in fact, curse Job, God, and everybody else who was nearby. Um, I hadn't considered that, but uh, you may be on to something. I, I, we're not told. You know, Job's wife only makes a brief appearance in history, uh, in recorded history. You know, this is one of the very few instances recorded in Scripture where a man said no to his wife, his mother, his daughters, whatever. He said no, and he meant no. Think, think about um, think about Abraham, Lot, Samson, Jacob, Herod, and Adam. What if they'd said no? I wish Adam had. What if we today? I mean, just process it. Abraham, no, Sarah, I will not take Hagar to be my wife. We would not have Islam as we know it. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, no girls. I don't want it. I don't want another glass of wine. You know, Lot in the cave. There would have been no Moabites, no Ammonites. 
No, Mom, I will not deceive Dad. Okay? Jacob would have been spared, uh, you know, being deceived by uh, Laban and ended up with two wives. And his mother would have would have seen him again before she died. No, Delilah, I will not tell you the strength, source of my strength. Stop asking. So I wonder what would have happened if Adam had said that. Yeah, no, Eve, I will not take the fruit. Sorry you did. Best of luck to you. And what would have happened? <laughs> yeah, what if Adam had said no? Did, I think, I, frankly, I think Christ would have come, I think what if Christ would have come and died for Eve. Or you know what? Maybe Adam would have done. I don't know. I, I still think Christ would have come and died for Eve alone. Well, as I get older, one of the most valuable words in, in, in all of language is no. Say no, mean no. Okay? Our Savior says, let your yes mean yes, and let your no mean no. Anything else is from the devil. One of the things that, uh, you know, getting back to this memory text here, Sabbath's lesson, um, but he said unto her, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God, and shall we not accept adversity? And all this Job did not sin with his lips. Clearly, Job was not used to foolish advice from his wife. Right? He's telling her, you know, where's where's this come from? You're speaking like one of the foolish women. She wasn't in the right mind. She lost her children. She lost just... Yeah, I don't... Who knows what state she was in or what her motivation was. But Job recognized it as even in his... Even in his grief state, even in his impaired health... Uh, even in you know an impaired emotional, psychological, whatever state, he recognized it for what it was. He recognized it as poor advice, and he didn't follow it. He said no. Uh, Thursday's lesson. What does the f- it's entitled "Obedience unto Death"? What does obedience? What does the phrase mean? Obedience unto death. You have a. Thought or comment or a question or a little clarification on the the uh, uh, examples given where it's always the guy saying no to a uh, uh, negative impact of the female. It's also uh, good to keep in mind that there were also women who said no appropriately, like Abigail. Right. You know. I don't know that she actually said no to her husband, but she she behaved appropriately and then confronted him on it later. Yes, that's right. It's not gender. Thank you for clarifying. It's not gender specific. (laughs) No, it is not gender specific. Yes. Sometimes they said no whenever you don't think about it. Naomi and Ruth. Naomi said, go back home. Mm -hmm. You know, Uh, go back home. Go back to your families, whatever. I'm going to go back to mine. And Ruth said, no. Right. I'm going where you are. I'm going to be stuck to you. You can't get rid of me that easy. And so sometimes, you know, there have been no's in the Bible that have been impressive. Correct. And my, my point with this saying no is to think for yourselves, people, ladies and gentlemen. Think for yourselves. Do not surrender your will, your thoughts, your being to the uh, intent or the advice of anyone else, men or women. Think for yourselves. Learn to do. Learn by practice to discern the right from the wrong. 
and learn to and pray for the strengthening of your will to choose what's right because it's right because that's how God designed life to operate. Obedience unto death. What, what does that mean? Is that ringing any bells? Is that getting any gears moving uh, as far as other scripture? There's one one that popped to my mind right away. Th- that's that wasn't it, but yes, thank you. Oh, no, there's the one in I forget Galatians Ephesians somewhere in there where it says that Christ was obedient unto death. Okay, he was. Revelation twelve eleven. Ring any bells? These are they who do not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. This is a profile of the those living on earth at the time the Christ comes. They have been so settled into the truth about God's ways and methods and principles and his government that they cannot be moved, and they will not be moved. Even if it comes to yielding up their life, they will not... They will not change their minds. How about Daniel? I mean, look at him. Yes. Absolutely. How was Job obedient unto death? You trust in God in the text that says, do adversity. If you get the good, you need to be able to trust God in the adversity. Do we think that Job's relationship with God was so so deep that he he trusted God with his life? Whether or not he, even though we're led to believe that he really didn't understand all the stuff going on behind the curtain, behind the veil in heaven. He trusted God so implicitly that he said, you know what, Lord, if this earth's going to be better without me, take me. Well, one sign that he trusted God so much to me is that even though his children were taken, he still trusted God because, you know, I would rather give my life than take my kids. Right. Right. Exactly. Even more of us just realize Job didn't truly understand God, and yet he trusted him. That's correct. We in this room have a much better understanding of God because we we can look back at the example that Jesus of Nazareth gave us. Okay, uh, I, that's I, that's very well said. Uh, I don't think his his um, intellectual understanding of God was was what ours is. However. He had such a deep relationship with him that he, he trusted him implicitly with his life, and he would would have been obedient to death. Um, now back to um, some parallels between Job's experience and Christ's experience. Uh, are, are there any any similarities? Any obvious differences you can come up with? What are some of the similarities? Okay. An implicit trust in God and obedience unto death. Even when your wife, your family leaves, you still trust in God like the disciples when they left Christ like that. Okay. Yep. Christ walked through the, the valley of shadow of death by himself. Um, what else? Even when you feel abandoned, like she said, abandoned by God, you feel like of God. Who was the source of torment for both of them? Satan. Satan. Okay, the difference is that Christ knew it. Job did not, or we don't, Scripture doesn't give us any indication that Job knew it. They both had family and friends who did not understand God. Right, 
They, that's correct. They both have family and friends that they may have tried to lead them to um, make them deviate from their path. Peter, Lord, you can't do this. Get behind me, Satan. And then his mother and brother, you're crazy. Yeah. You know, when Christ was tempted in the wilderness, I don't think Satan appeared at first as the being who he really was. He appeared as an angel of light. Sure. He was he was there for for Christ's best good and, and tempting him with very subtle mm-hmm. encouragement. It, it, and even in the second temptation, using scripture even to back up his his approach. Right. You know, and um, yet still, um, he he remained true. And I think the Job the very same thing. Yeah, but there's a fundamental difference there. Uh, Job could not have resurrected his children. Job could, Job could not have restored his livestock um, with his own power. Job could not have healed himself um, in and of himself. Christ had that power, and he didn't access it to serve himself. Uh, that, to me, was one of the fundamental differences between the two. One of our, our statements we've, we've kind of implied here, though, is that Job did not have very much Scripture. Yes. He did not have he did not have the example of written scripture or the the example of Christ's life. But he had oral traditions which with his intellect and whatnot being much closer to the the creation than we are, he probably had the in stories from Adam and others mm-hmm. firmly memorized as oral traditions that were lengthy. I'm sure you're right. Extensive. And statements from God Himself about who He was. Right. And so He knew more about God, maybe, than some of us have taken opportunity to memorize Scripture to hide in our hearts. You know, He had in His heart, and that's what He was reflecting back on during this time of torment. Was I know all these good things about You, God, and I can't make this match. I think that's a great point. Uh, one last thing to consider. Um, the teacher's quarterly kind of fleshed out a little bit about Satan's access to and from heaven um, and how that uh, how that changed throughout time. Well, what was it that actually changed Satan's access to heaven? We've been over this numerous times. The revelation of his character. <laughs> the full revelation of his character and... At that point, heavenly beings, whether they angelic or some other species, the the veil had finally been pulled away from their eyes, and they said, "Oh, this is the kind of being that the light bringer is." And and then it was, we we don't we don't want to listen. We don't want to hear you. We don't want to hear your arguments anymore. Stop. By that, at the time of the cross, angels and other unfallen beings were so settled into the truth that they could not be moved. Okay, my understanding is up until that point, there were questions remaining about God's government, Satan's government, et cetera, et cetera. And when when his mask was ripped away and it was revealed that he would murder his creator, minds were settled in every species except human. Okay, and that. The revelation of the cross was a good beginning for human minds to become settled, which is where we need to be. Let's uh, close the prayer. Gracious Father, thank you for the example, not only uh, of Job, but especially the example set forth uh, your son, Christ. Thank you for 
his efforts in revealing his character and revealing your character and Satan's character uh, and for the opportunity to mold and shape our characters to his likeness so we can hasten his coming. Uh, we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.